2: It's just part of what makes us America's number one breaks destination.
3: What you have described here sounds like a recipe for disaster. A situation where we have an individual being placed in charge of multiple people's lives.
4: Dr. Kristen Daves O'Connor is a neuropsychologist at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. She's an expert on the effects of brain injury on military veterans.
3: I've never met or evaluated this individual, but from what I've been told, it sounds like there was alcohol, sleeping pills, and days and days of sleep deprivation. You're mixing up quite a cocktail here.
4: Dr. Miguel Escalon, a colleague of Dam's O'Connor, agrees with her assessment. Neither doctor has examined Staff Sergeant Robert Bales, but they've both seen the devastating effects of TBI in their patients time and again.
5: I think it's common sense to say if you take someone who tends towards violence, might have PTSD, all these kinds of things, and you give them something that could make them even more violent, could be a catastrophic situation. Previously,
6: on The War Within. Now looking back, on it, I think I had a few concussions.
0: Bob told me that he had been blown up nine times.
3: A traumatic brain injury can happen when there is an external force that results in an alteration in mental status.
5: I call it an invisible disability. Your brain is not built to take that kind of punishment.
6: You
3: can't explain
6: this irrational activity looking at it from normal eyes. Bales is like running around with a chicken with a fucking dead off. I have guard that night. I see some flashing lights to the north. You have to go out and try to stop that threat.
4: I'm Mike McGinnis. This is The War Within, the Robert Bales story. Robert Bales' legal defense did not utilize the staff sergeant's history of traumatic brain injury to fight for his innocence in perpetrating the Canhar Massacre even though many expected them to do so, such as legal analyst Jeff Tubin, speaking here to CNN. The objective is to establish that Bales is a very damaged man psychologically. He is someone who is not fully responsible for his own actions. And given that
5: the defense appears to have something to work with, the fact that he had had a serious head injury, That may be what gets this case to a a resolution that involves uh, something other than execution.
4: Ultimately, defense attorney John Henry Brown was able to negotiate a plea deal without playing the mental health card, which would have implicated that the Army was culpable for sending Bales back into the field.
7: It became apparent that Bobby was a product of the government and that he was just the classic soldier that had been forgotten and very little assistance was given to him when he had his injuries. But we had to make a decision that no, we better just you know, not tell the whole truth of what happened because the army will get pissed and uh, he'll get the death penalty. There's another reason why an argument
4: built around Robert Bales's brain may not have held up in court. Most people can agree that the staff sergeant was not in his right mind on the night of March 11th, 2012. But whether the military-industrial complex is responsible for his heightened state—that's up for debate.
6: We were drinking uh, some booze, a twenty-one-ounce Pepsi bottle full of whiskey, and you know, three guys over two and a half hours. You know, we worked it out to like seven drinks per guy. This is ten o'clock, maybe. You know, we watch uh, Man on Fire. I get up. I try to go to bed. I go in. I take some sleeping pills
4: the army might have been negligent in handling his TBIs but getting intoxicated on this kinetic deployment was Bales' own decision and against the rules Private James Alexander recalls that sleeping pills weren't even available to the other soldiers at VSB Bellumby.
8: we had a med shed where you had fentanyl and all kinds of shit that was in there and The person that was in charge of it was our medics, right? And so Bales is the sergeant. He's in charge of the medics. So he could get whatever the hell he wanted. He talks about not being able to sleep, so he got sleep nets. It's like, damn, okay, like, you know, I wish that was an option because not all of us could sleep, but we didn't all have the ability just to, like, go to the candy store and take whatever the hell we wanted.
4: Alexander's comments are in line with those of Bob's wife, Carrie Bales, that Bob relied on substances more than he should.
0: He was a drinker. He went to Ohio State, right? He partied a lot. I think that's how alcohol came into his life. And then I think he liked to party it up with his guys as well. I think that maybe after his second deployment and third deployment, there were times when he would just kind of zone out and and drink to, I think, forget, honestly.
6: You know, I'd go out on the back porch when we lived in Lake Taps and, you know, i just sit and, I mean, that's kind of the alcoholism thing too. You know, I'd sit there in a back porch and, you know, just drink, you know, I, I mean, I didn't want to be around anybody.
0: I think he was in pain. And those times when he would go off by himself and have a few drinks and smoke his cigars, I think there were times when he would drink to obviously make the pain go away.
4: Doctors Dams O'Connor and Escalon shed light on how TBI and addiction can often go hand in hand, compounding the symptoms of each affliction.
3: Alcohol use, substance use is often more common among soldiers who have sustained a traumatic brain injury. Substances like alcohol can be a coping mechanism. It's a way of self-medicating. It's a way of turning off all of the enormous stressors that a person can be exposed to in a combat zone.
5: You're much more likely to get addicted and to not be able to stop yourself because you lost that inhibition. If you lost the ability to tell yourself no, you're going to get hooked.
8: So we're in country in Afghanistan. It's either Christmas or New Year's, they start shooting off flares to celebrate, right? They were shooting red and green up into the air, and all of the infantry NCOs are drinking, or are drunk. We didn't know what they were up to. We just assumed they were doing the right thing like we were.
4: James Alexander sent us the following video from that Christmas night, which he took on his cell phone. Soldiers are firing flares into the sky like fireworks. For a group that was tasked with living alongside Afghan farming villages, they aren't being subtle.
9: What is
6: this, hey, oh, yeah, hey man, if you're good, you're Pick shoot your own right <laughs> you not shooting your weapon, you're a fag. <laughs> oh, oh, the the hell thing thing
10: is?
4: That was Bales, who used the word I won't repeat here. Apparently, getting drunk was normalized at Bell and body. So much so that Private Gavin Jones doesn't recall the infantry leadership or NCOs doing much to mask their insobriety.
11: You know, they'd, they'd come over just to check in with us and have like really heart-to-heart talks, and and you know, it's it's something that a drunk person does. You know, like a like an I love you, bros, situation. They'd be coming over from their huts, and be like, hey guys, just want to make sure that everything's doing okay. A few of those, and you could tell that there was uh, they were getting wild over there.
4: Alexander and Jones were privates, lowest on the total pole. They didn't have the standing to tell their NCOs to stop drinking. Green Beret Captain Danny Fields was the person who was responsible for making sure nothing got out of hand.
12: I don't think I'm sharing any secrets here to say that Green Berets will have some kind of alcohol on their base. Now, it was also kind of big boy rules. You play by the rules. If you're drinking, I don't want to know about it, but you're also doing it responsibly.
4: To be clear, Fields and his group were Special Forces, or SF. As elite, high-priority soldiers, military regulations are usually more relaxed for them.
12: I made it very clear with the team that the only people that would be drinking would be the SF guys. Now, what they did after I said that, you know, I have no idea. I think some of that has probably come to light.
4: Alcohol seemed to be available to almost anyone who wanted it at VSP Bell Captain Fields outlines how some soldiers managed to transport it to Afghanistan.
12: If people want something, they're going to find a way to get it. A pretty common way to get alcohol on a base is that people will mail it. They're not gonna maybe mail a bottle of Jack Daniels. Like, here's one I've heard is a bottle of like mouthwash, and that's vodka. And in that, maybe you even put some some blue or green uh, food coloring in there to make it look more like mouthwash. And that gets shipped and goes overseas and shows up in somebody's care package.
4: John Henry Brown seems to think the liquor came from the special forces. After all, Bellambi was their base. Furthermore, Bales's lawyer surmises that alcohol wasn't the only illicit substance used and distributed by the SF.
7: It just seemed fundamentally unfair to me that someone who was provided alcohol and drugs by the special forces should be treated the way he was being treated. You know, they had what they called the drug store in the SF uh, campground, which was any drug you wanted was in this box and uh, bobby would use them and he was given steroids by the sf
6: so I started taking the steroids probably early february they were pretty amazing the joint pain goes away like it's an amazing thing to not feel joint pain you know it's an amazing thing to feel better you know you're out there doing patrols you know i'm an old man i'm 38 years old at the time you know you're carrying you know 100 pounds sometimes on your back, you know, you're doing what you can to keep up. And so I'm not going to apologize for, for that.
4: According to Bales, about a month before committing the Kanahar massacre, he started taking stenozolol, a synthetic steroid derived from testosterone. Just like in pro sports, unauthorized use of steroids is not allowed in the armed forces. According to the privates, that didn't stop Bales.
11: I remember like multiple times he mentioned like doing some steroids and if we ever needed something that like he's he's got our backs but it wasn't necessarily put like straight to us like hey you want some steroids but like hey you know if you ever need anything you know I got you
8: squared away. We would work out and he'd just come in and start trying to rep 315. <laughs> like and it's like all right dude like let's see how this goes and he'd be able to get like half a rep and like you could physically see him ballooning as he was taking the steroids
4: similar to alcohol prohibition of steroids is a rule that's often ignored by deployed soldiers as panchway podcast host curtis grace
6: explains i know a lot of people that did it steroids isn't one of the things that's tested for on a normal drug test you have to test specifically for steroids so unless they have reason to believe that their guys are doing steroids they don't test for it
12: do sf guys use steroids Yeah. I mean, I think that's fairly common. I don't think that's a big secret. Were there people using it on our VSP? Probably. Yeah. Um, But again, not, I wouldn't say widespread or really well known. It's not like it was advertised if it was being used. Whether that resulted in, you know, poor leadership or just some poor decisions. I don't know.
7: Consumer Cellular. When Freedom Calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5
13: gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023.
5: The
4: potential side effects of steroids like stenozolol are well documented. Hormonal imbalances, headaches, difficulty sleeping... Most notably, numerous studies have found links between steroids and aggression. Some call it roid rage.
11: You know about the time that uh, Bales beat the shit out of that jingle truck driver, right?
8: That was definitely like another steroid moment for sure, roid rage or whatever.
4: The privates are referring to an incident from the middle of February, 2012. Bales had started his steroid regimen a week or two prior when a truck arrived at VSP
6: Bellambai to make a regularly scheduled delivery. So we were getting resupplied by Afghan truck drivers. The Afghan truck driver, we're there unloading a bunch of food. When you're in an area like this, everybody does every job, all hands on deck kind of thing.
8: I'm down the chain of the truck. The driver of the truck is the first one touching everything. So he's moving stuff down the chain. And as he's doing so, he's moving quicker than bales can grab the stuff.
6: And I'm the last guy on the truck and we're, we're having fun with it we're throwing boxes to each other right so the first time the guy he throws their 24-ounce soup cans and there's there's 12 in a bundle smacks me right across the jaw and i mean first time it was funny
8: bale's kind of like yells at him like don't hit me again right but the guy doesn't speak english he has no idea what you're doing and so the driver you know goes back immediately to start unloading his truck like what's the big deal bro like keep it moving you know i'm seeing stars you know but
6: i understood he is in a hurry because he doesn't want to be the Afghan truck driver stuck in belling by afghanistan when lights go out when it gets dark outside he's gonna die he just delivered goods to americans are you kidding so we're we're unloading again and he does it again oh. smacks me right in the head why well, turn around and he's just laughing his ass off you know he's just in the truck just laughing and I'm like, nah.
8: Bales turns around and starts punching the dude in the face and wrestling with him inside of this truck. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on?
6: You know, he's a typical Afghan. He weighs probably 100 pounds, you know, so he goes straight down. And So once he went down, you know, the knees started hitting, and I put his lip through his tooth. And then, uh, you know, I kind of like caught myself, and I stopped, and I was like, OK, that's enough
8: eventually got pulled out of the truck, calmed down and the truck driver's bleeding, you know, and
6: he's yelling and whatever. I felt bad about it, so we got him cleaned up and offered the guy
11: 60 bucks. His first like words are like, oh man, like what are they going to do to me? You think I'm going to be okay? Like, don't say anything to the guys. What are we going to tell them? He's talking about the guys, he's talking about the SF crew. I don't know if that truck driver made some kind of complaint. I think it might have just been just brushed under the rug. Many years later,
4: Soldier X believes that in hindsight, it's hard not to see this altercation with the truck driver as a warning sign.
0: When I saw that happen, I thought it was stupid. And I think everybody else thought it was stupid too. I thought he got reprimanded by the SF command or whatever. They pulled him aside like, you know, what the hell, dude? I hold on to that jingle truck incident pretty pretty hard because I I do feel like maybe I probably should have stepped in and pulled my chain command you know, this is the first straw, and they're leading down a bunch of straws being broken.
4: When Robert Bales left the VSP on March 11th, 2012, his brain had lost the ability to reach equilibrium. That's almost indisputable, but isolating the specific factors that contributed to his mental state is not so simple, as Dr. Kristen Dams O'Connor attests.
3: You are looking at the sum total of a person's lifetime set of brain injuries, systemic health conditions, many of which have implications for brain pathology. And we are trying to disentangle the unique contributions of distinct circumstances to the brain.
4: The military's prosecutor of the Bales case, Jay Morse, is convinced that alcohol and steroids alone can't be used as a reasonable excuse for the murder of 16 civilians.
7: So there were allegations proven that there was alcohol on the base, um, that there was some uh, steroid use. This was not important from my point of view as the criminal prosecutor. Steroids, alcohol, and Benadryl is what he was taking. There was no evidence to suggest that that combination together or Any of those things by themselves affected his ability to know what he was doing and to do what he did zero question in my mind
4: robert bales actually agrees with morse on this point
6: yes i believe that the steroids may have had an effect yes i believe that you know the sleeping pills had an effect yes i believe not sleeping for you know a period of time had an effect but at the end of the day it's a mitigating factor but it's not it doesn't absolve me of what I did. The question remains how do you get beyond mitigating
4: factor? How do you get to absolution?
6: Okay. Yeah.
9: Just make sure that you and I are really on the same page. And that is, we need legal hooks that they can hang their hat on. Of course. Yes. Right. I mean, we scoured the record. Now we've got nothing clean. That changed the whole thing, man. Right. We're back in the game we're back we can go for all
6: of it right that moral aspect of it is what i believe in my heart is going to change the opinion of not only a panel but of the rest of the world and so if we do that then i believe people say well he may not have had authority to leave that vsp but the reason that he did that anyway was because of this methylquen
4: We spent a lot of time on elements of this case that might explain Robert Bales' motivations and mindset in carrying out the Kandahar massacre. Potential connections between the victims and the Taliban, traumatic brain injury and PTSD, alcohol, sleeping pills, and steroids. The problem is, none of these elements would exonerate Bales in a court of law. Perhaps that's one reason why many lawyers would have hesitated to take him as a client in the years since his conviction but not attorney, John Marr. When the case was presented to me, 11 firms passed on it. You know, Most firms
9: said, there's nothing we can do. You just gotta go do your time, man. Whereas I was of the mindset to say, well, what can we do? And candidly, we don't get paid as handsomely as the market would probably dictate. But you do it for love. You do it for fulfillment. You do it because you're a soldier.
4: You're an officer. You're not gonna let your guys down. Mar knows the military's legal system about as well as anybody. During his 20 years of service, he spent time as a judge advocate for the Army, working criminal cases. Essentially, his role was similar to that of Lieutenant Colonel Jay Morse in the Bales trial.
9: You know, I'm a former prosecutor. We were taught as judge advocates. And you're obligated to find the truth before you bring these cases. It's an American soldier sitting over there. It's our guys. We're a team. Only when you are convinced that we can prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt and it's in the best interest of
4: the army and the soldier, only then do we bring cases. Nowadays, Mars sits on the opposite side of the room during courts-martial, defending alleged American war criminals. He's handled the Bales appeal since 2015. In that time, he's uncovered a novel, unexplored angle to this heavily scrutinized case. If the defense were never provided with mefloquine,
9: how can you make a really informed decision about your life? What is mefloquine? Well, Mike, I'm not going to get up in front of any court or make any representation saying that I know what mefloquine does. I have to rely on the information from the experts,
4: from Dr. Devin. Bales's path to freedom hinges on an antimalarial drug called mefloquine and the expert opinion of Remington Nevin public health and preventative medicine doctor with a notable reputation and a very specific niche.
14: I aim to educate the medical community and policymakers of the existence of a disease caused by poisoning by mefliquin and related drugs. It's just the latest in a series of synthetic drugs that the U.S. military has been developing to provide our forces with an edge for the type of large-scale worldwide deployments that became essential for our national security. There are many ways that a soldier
4: can lose their life on a deployment. Enemy engagement is the main one, but diseases like malaria can present a massive danger to American troops in
14: an unfamiliar climate. The threat of malaria is tremendous. Malaria can kill someone of European descent within days. And so without some type of medication, to prevent and treat malaria. Militaries had no way to operate in malarious areas like Africa and in Central and South America. And World War II, if our troops were not taking their anti-malarials as directed, we probably would have lost the South Pacific due to malaria.
4: For the bulk of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, mefloquine was the military's anti-malarial drug of choice. A lot of us took it. I took it during his own tenure in the United States on Forces, Dr. Nevin began to hear about the peculiar side effects of mefloquine.
14: I signed up for the military prior to 9-11, so a few years before Robert Bales. If you'd seen that movie Outbreak, I pictured myself being a Dustin Hoffman type character in the Army, and I suppose you have to be careful what you wish for. I was familiar with mefloquine as part of my training. We were taught that mefloquine was safe and effective medication if used as directed, but there were many rumors and uh, accusations of the drug being dangerous. When I deployed to Afghanistan as the preventive medicine doc, I took it myself. In fact, I was told to just reach into this garbage bag and grab your box of mefloquine. But within a number of weeks, I think even, I had begun to hear things from others who who had taken the drug, who were experiencing very vivid dreams from the drug. Horrific
4: nightmares. I know exactly what the doctor is describing. I know those dreams. To be concise, taking mefloquin was akin,
14: to me anyway, to dropping acid. I saw behavioral changes in many people in my unit. I heard reports from others in my unit of fairly severe side effects from the drug. Uh, And it was actually the death of someone in my unit that made me look into this issue more. And that began what has been well over a a decade of uh, research into this drug. Methlequin was very effective in combating malaria cases
4: among warriors overseas. But Dr. Nevin's extensive research has brought him to the conclusion that the drug is causing an entirely different problem, which could be just as deadly.
14: The drug is fundamentally defective, and it should have been abandoned because it was shown to be not fit for purpose. Many soldiers taking the drug would develop sleep disturbances, vivid dreams, a sense of foreboding or anxiety, symptoms of panic, paranoia, confusion, restlessness. And with continued use of the drug, In many cases, this would lead to a full-on psychotic break associated with the usual behaviors in people experiencing psychosis, including suicide and violence.
4: Some of these symptoms referenced by Dr. Nevin might sound familiar. That's what John Maher thought when he first unearthed studies on the side effects of mefloquine. He reached out to Nevin to ask whether the anti-malarial could have anything to do with the 2012 killings committed by Robert Bales.
9: When we called Dr. Nevin back in 2015, do you know what he said to us when he answered the phone? I've been waiting for this call for three
14: years. Where have you been? In medicine, we tend to discount our intuition. And this is unwise because medicine is not just a science, it's an art. I feel quite confident in attributing effects to to mefloquine based on my assessment of people. There's something about their mannerisms, there's something about their eyes.
4: Back in the mid-2000s, mefloquine was being administered basically en masse to the rank-and-file soldiers deployed to the Middle East. The weekly doses became so notorious that they developed their own nickname. They called it Mefloquine Mondays. We're going to see fairies. We're going to see shit. Oh, we can't wait. It's Mefloquine Mondays. We called it like Gay Pill Thursday or something like that. David Wesley is a veteran who deployed to Iraq twice,
6: Alongside Robert Bales. Gay pill Thursday. I mean, I know that's a crass way of saying it, but you got to think the infantry used to be just full of a bunch of like, jock wearing hooligans, pretty much. You know? <laughs> so that's kind of how we talked. But yeah, it was like, uh, you get these like just fucked up dreams, man, <laughs> like just wild. I'm so glad I don't ever have to take those again. As an American soldier,
4: you're supposed to take whatever medications the military gives you, no questions asked. Most people trusted the process.
6: I remember before we deployed, I got dosed up with so much stuff that they could have gave me anything. But if they told me it was gonna help me stay alive, I wanted it. We took it once a week. Remember, Doc Stacy would come around, he had the sheet, he would give you a pill, he'd check you off your sheet, and then we had the crazy dreams and we used to joke about it, you know? it's one of those things that we joked about and we made fun of and um, you know, nobody really thinks that anything else is gonna happen long term. That's why, you know, when I heard about the Mefliquin thing, you know, I really, at first, I didn't remember the name of the drug, right? I remember the effects.
14: This class of drug is neurotoxic. Drugs of this class actually cause physical irreversible injury to brains. At one point in Iraq, bales suffered what sounds like a clear hallucination.
6: In Iraq, I think I was on day three of you know, 14 hour days and I see walking across the bridge what looked to be purple ghosts. And uh, at the time, I thought, you know, you've heard about stories where you get so tired, you see stuff. So I didn't really equate it to the methlequin I equated it to,
14: man, I'm really tired. I gotta wake up. He hallucinated some figures at nighttime while he was on uh, overwatch, while he was surveying a bridge. That's an indication of an encephalopathic event. That is an indication of essentially irreversible side effects from the drug. According to Nevin's research,
4: once a methloquin user starts showing symptoms of psychosis, they're supposed to stop taking the drug immediately, as the effects could become permanent. But that message was never delivered to the soldiers. To make matters worse, Mount Sinai doctors Kristen Dams oconnor and Miguel Escalon suggest that the effects of mefloquine can be heightened in people who have certain pre-existing conditions.
3: There is evidence to suggest that traumatic brain injury can impact the way a person metabolizes medications. Does that extend to the effects of anti-malarial drugs? I think that there is evidence to suggest that that's quite possible.
5: There is Enough articles out there published in reputable journals that I certainly would think twice before prescribing it to somebody that had a significant psychiatric history or history of brain injury. It bears repeating.
4: A lot of the men and women who served in combat, especially multiple tours, have incurred TBIs. PTSD only compounds the problem.
14: Let's say someone is experiencing intermittent depressive thoughts, even though they're on an antidepressant. Well, if they start taking mefloquine and they develop new depressive thoughts, they're at risk of saying, well, I guess my depression's coming back. They may mislead themselves into thinking this is just a recurrence of their existing depression, when in fact, it could be the only warning sign of drug toxicity.
4: Dr. Nevin wasn't involved with the Bales camp during his trial or sentencing, but he observed the case from afar. To him, details from Bales' retelling of the events preceding the killings suggest that his mental state was directly attributable to methylquin poisoning.
14: He was paranoid, and he was deluded, and he was suffering from hallucinations. He believed in his heart of hearts that he had to take action against those villagers because they were plotting an imminent attack. And only he could see this, but he wasn't being rational. He saw flashing lights being exchanged between the villages.
6: I have guard that night. And uh, just shortly after we'd taken guard, um, I see some flashing lights to the north And I kind of turn around and I see like kind of a, so like a start and then a finish to the south. You know, maybe they were car headlights, maybe they were handheld land, I'm not sure what they were. But in my opinion, they were signaling to each other, telling them that they were ready to do
14: whatever it was to do. Who would think this? Who, Who would look at lights flashing and conclude that this was an indication of a conspiracy between the parties? Couldn't they have just walked over to the other village and said, hey, let's attack the compound uh, at daybreak? And only he could see this. None of his unit members believed him. The guy that was with me was uh,
6: our platoon medic. He didn't see the lights. I thought at the time it was because he was inexperienced and he was um, not paying attention.
14: The best explanation for these visual hallucinations, persecutory delusions, and paranoia is chronic methicone poisoning. There's no better explanation. Yes, a little bit of alcohol would probably help further disinhibit him. And then when one is on steroids, one tends to get a little more aggressive than one ordinarily would. But I think even without alcohol and steroids in the mix, he had the necessary ingredients for doing what he did. He was, in a nutshell, crazy because only a crazy person would conclude as he did.
15: When I hear the Bales story, the first thing I think of is mefloquine. First thing.
4: Commander Bill Minofsky was an esteemed naval flight officer for over 15 years until he began taking mefloquine in 2002.
15: Bales' deployment team, as I understand it, came under the jurisdiction of the Special Forces medical team there, where they were given mefloquine. Because it was on their head that if anybody in Bale's team got malaria, they could get in trouble. In most cases, they were lined up and made to take it, given it in Ziploc bags, had people watch them swallow it, were threatened with court-martial if they didn't take it, on and on and on. The United States government is lucky there were not more Robert Bales other than the ones that might have not been reported. My prayers for Robert Bales, it's a tragedy for him and his family. I don't know how to resolve it.
4: Coming up on The War Within.
15: This drug does something to the discretion center of
14: your brain. Mefloquine has been handed out without adequate documentation. With the military justice system, it's we cover our ass. If the defense were never provided with
15: Mefloquine, I think it could be landscape changing. If I was a corporal or a sergeant, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Honest to God, I I would be probably dead.
4: The War Within, The Robert Bales Story, is a production of Bungalow Media and Entertainment. Checkpoint Productions and Mosquito Park Pictures in partnership with iHeart Podcasts. The series was created by executive producers Paul Pulowski and David Sheck. Executive producers for Bungalow Media and Entertainment are Robert Friedman and Mike Powers. The podcast was written and produced by Max Nelson and hosted by me, Mike McGinnis. Editing was done by Anna Hoverman. Sound design and mix by John Gardner. Teddy Gannon was an archival producer. Leila Ahmadzai was an associate producer, and Peter Solotaroff was production assistant. Special thanks to Liz Yale Marsh, Nicole Rubin, Marcy Barkin, Zach Burpee, and Mirwais Atal, as well as all of the people who were interviewed for the podcast. Listen and subscribe to The War Within on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Get in zone, AutoZone.
2: Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today?
1: My check engine light's on.
2: Mm, that could hurt your gas mileage. The AutoZone Free Fix Finder service can help find the fix for free. Get
1: in zone. This whole report for free?
2: That's right. Printed and on your phone. For free. Get
1: in zone. But what if the fix is too tough? We'll
2: recommend a local shop. Fix Finder, only at AutoZone.